the beauty in the journey is always in pursuit of that, right? So future proof applies to, you know, the idea of, the idea of sustainability. You know, what, what do you need to do tomorrow to do the things to get to your day, to contribute to your family, your community? And then there's a, a matter of longevity. How long can you do the things that you love? And this new kind of emergent idea, which is pretty cool around immortality, can you tack on years, quality years on the back end, right? So future proof is around, you know, a spectrum of the North Star being the things that you love, doing it for as long as you can, and how are you gonna future-proof your body and your experiences in order to live quality life and you know keep doing the things that you love? Let's rock. Welcome back to the show, everybody. This is episode 105 of the Pure Ambition Podcast. I'm your host, Dom Fusco, and I appreciate you spending some time with me. Today, we have a very special guest who's gonna teach us all about future-proofing our bodies to live a high-quality life. His name is Dr. Kevin Maryshell, and he is a licensed chiropractor and head of purpose and communication at Myo Detox, a movement health clinic operating 13 locations across Los Angeles, Vancouver, and Toronto. As a Myo Detox founding member since 2015, Kevin's passion for holistic health and his in-depth understanding of the body have earned him notoriety within the physical health industry, allowing him the opportunity to treat NBA, NFL, NCAA, and Olympic athletes of the highest caliber. Having grown up in a community where preventative treatment was a luxury and experiencing a life-altering and preventable knee injury that halted his career in collegiate basketball, Kevin's passionate about promoting access, relatability, and quality within the physical wellness space. Through his commitment, Kevin has proudly founded Myo Detox's Emerging Leaders Scholarship Program, an initiative that aims to develop and mentor physical therapy and chiropractic students. Through his commitment, Kevin has proudly founded Myo Detox Emerging Leaders Scholarship Program, an initiative that aims to develop and mentor physical therapy and chiropractic students from marginalized communities, and also co-founded Mindsets, a physical and mindfulness wellness program designed for incarcerated youth on remand in the greater Toronto area. A graduate of New York Chiropractic College, Kevin has been a keynote speaker at his alma mater and has been a guest speaker for the Canadian Physiotherapy Association. Kevin has led various health and wellness experiential activations in partnership with Nike across New York City, Miami, and Boston. This was an incredible conversation and we dove into what movement health actually is, how to apply it to our daily life, what we can do in those, you know, one, two, three, five minute segments where... You know, we don't really know what we're supposed to be doing with the rest of our day. We can get some movement health in there. We all want to go to the gym and crush ourselves, but we don't want to take the time to focus on our movement health. And that is what will help us live a high quality, long, healthy life. Before we dive into the show, if you guys could take a second to leave a five-star rating and review on the platform that you are listening, it would mean the world to me. It helps us reach more people so that we can help impact more people and help them live as the best version of themselves. Now, without further ado, let's dive into it with Dr. Kevin Mary Show. One of the things that really interested me, listening to some of the podcasts you've been on, reading up on some of the work that you do with Myo Detox, which we will absolutely get into, I'm really interested in your concept of future-proofing the body. So when you say future-proofing the body, when somebody hears that, what does that mean? Yeah, I think it's uh, future-proof is an opportunity for folks to kind of reimagine their relationship with their body. Um, you know, currently we occupy space in, in the therapy space. So, you know, people are coming to us looking for a guide to, you know, help them through their pain and injuries and, you know, perform at a higher level. And often the drop-off is once you get past pain, right? So, you know, Don, we're dealing with lower back pain. If we had it on a scale of 
negative 10 is you at your worst and 100 is you performing at a high level, whatever it is, the things that you love, there's a huge focus on negative 10 to zero, you know, kind of getting you out of pain. And that is the end point as opposed to 100 being your end point. And, you know, chasing 100 is difficult. And, and the beauty in the journey is always in pursuit of that, right? So future proof applies to, you know, the idea of the idea of sustainability. You know, what, what do you need to do tomorrow to do the things to get through your day to contribute to your family, your community? Then there's a, a matter of longevity. How long can you do the things that you love? And this new kind of emergent idea, which is pretty cool around immortality, can you tack on years, quality years on the back end, right? So future proof is around, you know, a spectrum of the North Star being the things that you love, doing it for as long as you can. And how are you going to future proof your body and your experiences in order to live a high quality of life and, you know, keep doing the things that you love? So what kind of processes go into future proofing then? And I know in the fields that you work in, there's no one you know use case that is that is the same. So everybody's going to require different modalities, different um, tactics and whatnot to future proof their own body. So what does that mean for like the individual person? Um, how do you guys go about that on an individual basis for future proofing each person that comes to my detox? Yeah, so movement health is 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 truly the mission and the north star of you know what's beautiful about the idea of movement health it is allow it allows us to escape from you know fitness and exercise uh, per se we have you know societal and cultural cultural constructs around fitness and exercise and movement becomes a lot more accessible a lot more you know palatable to the everyday person and you know it's a bit of a universal language I think deep down everybody regardless of where you're from or what language you speak there is some idea or concept or desire. Um, to move because of not only what it does for somebody's movement health, but their mental health. And, you know, there's a, a lot of constituents that go into the idea of health. So for us in our world, we're, we're heavily, heavily invested and passionate about um, movement health and physical health and, and how that part of somebody's health paradigm pertains to the way that they show up in the world, knowing that none of the forms of health are mutually exclusive. Physical health is going to play on mental health is going to play on, you know, other aspects of somebody's health journey. But when we talk about uh, movement health, it's about enabling and guiding folks with, you know, the tools and knowledge uh, to live a better life through movement. And it's really helping people identify, you know, kind of where they're at. You know, if you think about your journey of movement health, it's, it's like a map and we want to go somewhere, but we often don't even know, like, you know, you're here, that that like red kind of like pin on a map, you, you kind of got to know where you're starting at to know where you're trying to go. Because there's, there's many directions that you can take on that movement and health journey. But knowing where you're at will give you an idea of, you know, you're dealing with knee pain. Is this something that you can load and work through on your own uh, to get back, you know, on the field or or doing the things that you love? And or is it a matter of there's a meniscus tear, there's an ACL tear or something more significant? Do you need to seek guidance and, and support? So kind of knowing where you are, what guidance and support that you need in order to continue on your pursuit of movement health and, and future proof is how I would kind of conceptualize the idea of, of movement health and the, the, the space that we occupy in people's lives. That's so good. And I've never heard that term movement health before. Obviously, I've heard you know movement is medicine and, and all these things, but actually putting that into practice, actually implementing that into your life. Just like people are like, I'm New Year's resolution, for example, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to start exercising more like, okay, you know, that means maybe going to the gym, maybe running on the treadmill, maybe lifting weights a couple days a week. But how important is movement health? And how could somebody go about incorporating that into their overall wellness routine? 
Yeah, it's an incredible question because like, I think that the newness and the novelty of the idea of movement health is again, like detaching ourselves from fitness and exercise. And, you know, when somebody thinks about how they attach themselves to movement health today, it is to your point, get a gym membership, go to the gym. Like a lot of these things often, unfortunately become fleeting because it's such a huge commitment where the idea of just moving my body one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever I have access to just makes it significantly less daunting. It makes it feel like something that is, you know, palatable, whether you're, you know, a mother or father uh, of two, or, you know, you have incredible stress and things going on in your life. It, it just becomes something that you feel like you can embody on a, on a daily basis, um, as opposed to, do you have an hour? Like a lot of our, you know, movement, health, fitness, exercise practices today, if we don't have an hour, it unfortunately ends up not getting done. And if it's not an hour, then it's nothing as opposed to, I think people just don't always have the tools. If they only had 10 minutes, I think people get a bit stuck on what can I do to maximize 10 minutes? I can't even conceptualize what a great workout could look like in 10 minutes. So I, I just end up not doing uh, anything. So the idea of movement health allows people to, you know, reimagine what movement can look like, the space it occupies in their lives, hopefully detach it from the idea of exercise and actually have them as two completely different constructs in their mind. So movement health feels like something I could touch every day and exercises maybe something I do three times a week and they're not one in the same. So I know you have a background in athletics and I can sense your passion for this. I can sense your passion. I can see it in the work that you do and what you're building over there at Myo Detox. Where does this passion come from? How did you get introduced into movement health? And you know why is it such a driver for you in, in what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, you nailed it. It's really my um, athletic background, um, chasing high performance for the majority of my life. Um, I really got into uh, physical medicine, just coming off of a bunch of injuries. I played every jumping sport under the sun, basketball, volleyball. Not only did I run track, but I hurdled. So I'm also getting off the grill. Like, everything was uh, super explosive. Um, I didn't have the guidance or mentorship to, you know, kind of tell me to slow down or create some variability in the way that I'm loading my body. Everything like to train for basketball, I was jumping more. To train for volleyball, I was jumping more. Like I didn't understand the the concept of overload, uh, and then I just became obsessed. Like I'm, I'm not going to date myself and throw out, you know, how old I am out here, but um, I'm in libraries, you know, in biomechanics, anatomy books. Like I'm trying to understand, you know, some of these pro athletes that have a similar injury and they're coming back field, court, uh, what have you, in six to eight weeks, and I'm still, you know, kind of hobbled with my injury. There's things that I clearly don't have access to or I don't know. So I set out on this pursuit to this really try to figure it out um, myself. And, you know, some of my passion is driven through the what if story. I feel like I have a big what if story. I feel like I'd be part of all of the um, trades and, you know, NBA news that's going on right now on the ticker. I feel like I, I didn't have an opportunity to take a real shot at playing at the highest level because uh, my body couldn't keep up and um, wanted to be a vessel of change and tools and knowledge to help folks not have a, you know, what if story, and they actually get to take a real shot at whatever that that passion is and playing at the highest level. Was there a specific breakthrough for you? Maybe something you read, maybe something you saw, maybe something you implement, implemented into your life, into your training that was like, this is working. And I got to share that with people. At the time, nothing. At the time, I had no answers for my knee issues. Um, you know, your audience, you know, some folks might know the terminology or not so much, but like Osgood Slaughter's is really, um, you know, a very intense inflammatory version of 
like patellar tendonitis and, you know, over time chronically becomes patellar tendinopathy. I have like two huge um, kind of osseous deposits or just like bony um, knobs on both of my knees from all of the issues that I had. And I, I just had no answers at, at the time. So I unfortunately missed my window of, you know, getting the, the help and the tools that I needed to figure it out um, at the time. My breakthrough moment on my pursuit of how am I going to help others um, was really seeing relationships in my community that clinicians and therapists, for me particularly a chiropractor uh, in my life, which is why I pursued a uh, chiropractor, just the relationship that he had with his, his patients, uh, their families. I feel like that the, the common ground and the empathy he was able to uh, have with them and connect with them on a deeper level created space for him to be there kind of movements and physical health coach. And I often felt like there was a gap in, in, in connection to create an opportunity to really uh, help somebody out. And that led me on a pursuit of, you know, really understanding. I, I was in a little bit of that wave of how passive modalities turned into, you know, far more active and everything, you know, st started to kind of culminate and like just load it, just move. That's like the true, you know, medicine and ability to overcome injuries and really understanding it's a matter of graded exposure um, when to push, when to pull. And when I started to wrap my head around, you know, the framework of rehabilitation, not only getting out of pain and past injuries, but performing at a really high level, then there was no turning back. I became un, almost unhealthily obsessed with, with the body and biomechanics and physiology and uh, how bodies perform at a high level and nuances and variability from, from body to body. And then it, it was over for me. Like I, I chose my, my path from that point. So taking a step back on, on, or kind of progressing along on your journey there, you said you got unhealthily, unhealthily, yeah, yeah unhealthily ain't even, obsessed. Ain't even, yeah. ain't even a word. I made it up. On yeah, the, right, right, right. right. <laughs> You're so passionate about that, that you made up a word for it. So uh, I love that. I mean, I think obsession and passion really leads to these breakthroughs and that's led to myodetox, which I'm super fascinated with. And I'm, I got to get to Canada, I guess, to, to, to get to one of your clinics or out to LA, but where did you go from there? Like when in your life did all of this happen? Like when did this injury happen? And then what were the next steps for you? When did you, did you study this in, um, you know, in, for in college and then, um, yeah, kind of just take me along on your journey there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So went from, um, all of the debilitating injuries, mostly lower body, um, my knees from there, pretty much, uh, dropping sports, uh, completely just not feeling like I could, I could do my best. Um, completely still obsessed with movement and movement medicine. So I studied uh, kinesiology at York University here in here in Toronto. Um, spent a couple of years after I graduated with you know chiropractors, folks, um, trainers at the highest level, and again just really got to immerse myself in what high performance looks like and how to support athletes performing at the highest level. Um, from there, again, I had a family friend who was a chiropractor in my life, and I, I really. Um, was enamored by the relationships he built with his with his patients. And, you know, he's, he has a patient, this patient's training for, you know, a basketball tournament or trying to get a D1 scholarship. And then he's going from uh, in his office to actually, you know, following this person, jumping in a car, driving the two hours out to them to their tournament. To like, it, it was just a level of clinician, therapist, um, patient interaction I just had never seen before. And that really um, got me going. So from there, I went to chiropractic college in upstate New York, was then New York Chiropractic College. Now it's been rebranded as Northeast uh, College of Health Sciences. I've uh, been fortunate recently to um, 
be inducted to the board of trustees at the school. And again, I'm just so passionate about the uh, advocacy and, and development of the profession and making sure it it's it, it keeps up with how medicine and um, uh, healthcare and, and movement health is is, is changing. So uh, from there, I just started kind of practicing, doing my own thing. I was often in gym, gym settings. I just always wanted to be close to, you know, movement at, at, at a high level. And that's where I met uh, Vin, who's one of the co-founders of Myodetox. So uh, Vin Pham is a physical therapist. He's been practicing. At the time, he was practicing for probably five or six more years than me. If today I'm practicing 11 years, he's like 16, 17 years. And that was another milestone breakthrough for me. Um, Vin embodies just caring really deeply. Um, you know, he has a, he had a sense of humanity where he brought uh, manual therapy, uh, movement medicine, and just matched that, which is like really connecting people and this sort of cultural element that I've always felt was missing in, in healthcare to um, draw people in that don't understand the space that therapy could occupy in their lives. Uh, and then we just set out on a journey together. So, you know, became a, a founding team member of, of Myodetox and then our, very early on in Vin's journey, he uh, met Scott Marcasio, who's another co-founder of Mild Detox, our current um, CEO. And uh, that was it. From there, like there was just this, a bunch of kids trying to chase this dream of um, truly making movement health something that exists uh, across the world. At the time, it was just a small clinic in uh, Toronto. We were, you know, on top of a barbershop. We shared that with a real estate office and whatever was necessary just to kind of open a door and let people come in and, and experience um, you know, the care and the passion and dedication to helping them perform at a, at a high level. Uh, since then, we've gotten to currently we're at four clinics uh, here in Toronto, going to be six by the end of the year. Um, we connected with an incredibly talented group in, in, in Vancouver. Uh, we merged. Uh, they had two clinics at the time. We were now at six clinics uh, in Vancouver. And in their uh, 20, I want to say 18, I think 2018 is when we uh, opened in West Hollywood. In, in LA. And it's a question we often get, right? Like why, why the expansion? Why LA? Um, you know, for us, when we truly latched on and believed in movement health being something that we wanted to inspire the world to do, we needed to go to, you know, kind of the fitness movement mecca, cultural mecca uh, of the world. And, you know, a, a bit of a sense of LA says this, this is where we're going, then the world kind of follows. So we knew we needed to be there. We spent a bunch of years going to you know, LA Fit Expo, just building relationships out there to a point folks actually thought Mayo um, started in, in LA. Mayo Detox was from LA because of the amount of time we were spending there um, and the stories that were being told was really stemmed out of LA, which really, you know, got us to latch onto the idea like this is where we need to be in order to, to inspire the world. One thing I really loved learning about Mayo Detox and kind of like your vision for it is when we're injured or when we feel pain you know where do we go family physician right we go to just the the normal the normal doctor we don't really know the the average person doesn't really know who they should go see if they're you know having back pain having knee pain maybe they go to the orthopedic maybe they go to a chiropractor but there's really not one place that's really going to give you an all-in-one like full assessment and really help you with your movement health and get you to living pain-free and future-proofing the body. So talk about the vision that you see for this and, you know, why you didn't just have like a chiropractic office or you didn't just go with chiropractic or you didn't just go with physical therapy or you didn't just go with um, manual therapy and merging these things together. 
Yeah, I think that every um, kind of disciplines training model has a lot of a lot of value and creating a very like interdisciplinary collaborative environment in which a lot of disciplines from different backgrounds could really help each other grow, challenge each other uh, clinically to get better for the, you know, the people in the communities they serve. We knew that that level of collaboration is going to help every one individual um, therapist from various disciplines become the best clinician and the best version uh, of themselves. That's really where the the idea of bringing everybody together in, in, in one space and you know, we often talk to our uh, clients about being, you know, the life athlete, the pro athlete in the story. And Dom, if you were a pro athlete, you would have your your physical therapist, your chiropractor, your, you know, nutritional specialist. You, you would have your trainer. You would have this whole team around you whose literal one goal is to make sure that you perform um, at the highest level, right? So that level of collaboration, communication uh, around the life athlete and you know, there's no reason why the everyday person who if their, their version of being a life athlete is being able to, you know, keep playing soccer because that's something that their son is passionate about. They, they need a team around them. They need to feel like the pro athlete of their own of their own story. Um, so that's where creating these spaces in which there's all of this uh, communication collaboration uh, became extremely important. And there are, you know, to your point, like, it's really confusing. Movement health, physical health. Um, we have not, as a, as a space in the profession, not done a great job making it easy for the everyday person, like super palatable to understand if, if this, then that, um, you know, some, some really clear, easy examples is like oral health, you know, you know, when to floss, you know, when, you know, you might have a cavity, you got, you, you, it might not be crystal clear, but you have an idea of what steps to take when you experience X, Y, Z in our space, you experience some back pain, just like, as you mentioned already, you're not you're not sure. Is this your family physician? You don't know who the first entry point uh, of advice is, or maybe you are the entry point and you need the tools to be able to manage this thing at home because it is not uh, it's something that you have the tools to be able to manage and be able to uh, get a sense of when do you need to go see somebody. And that's the the guide that MyoDetox wants to play in in people's lives. And I know incredibly talented uh, therapists in our space and. It's challenging for them to um, grow and, and build a, a community around what they're doing and their incredibly talented skill set because communication and storytelling, it, it doesn't really match what their community uh, needs to hear and see so that they can find them. And MyoDetox wants to build like a trusted source, a, a brand uh, around movement health. And this is a group that works incredibly hard to develop, to grow clinically so that they can serve you um, in the best way possible. And, and that's really what my detox represents. So I'd love to stay on this topic of back pain. I had a L4, L5 herniation a couple of years ago, and it was hands down the most miserable experience in my life. It was horrible. Like, and I tore my ACL the year before that. And I was like, push came to shove. I'd rather knock on wood, but I'd rather have my, like, go through the ACL um, again, rather than the back, just because it's, there's no timetable for it. Like you don't know when it's going to heal every single back injury, every single use case is, is different. So why is back pain such a common thing nowadays? Like, it seems like in the way that we live today, our society as a whole, like, why do, why do you think back pain is, is such a, such an inhibitor uh, of lifestyle? So from an evolutionary standpoint, we spend a lot of time in certain positions, uh, very sedentary, and it doesn't match what we were designed to do, which is ultimately move, locomotion is really what uh, drives us and keeps us keeps us healthy. So 
I think just being a society that became very flexion based really quickly, you know, we could go on a historical whim of history and, and revolutions and talking about it, like how fast we went from being a very, you know, hands-on manual kind of movement society to just by, by virtue of work and how we, you know, make money and contribute to our families. We really quickly became a flexion based society, which means that we, we sit a lot and Below low back, especially the segment that you mentioned, L4, L5, especially L5S1, the lowest one, it undergoes a lot of stress being in a flexion, a flex state, which is essentially sitting and you're kind of bending your spine forward. And a lot of people, you know, latch onto this idea of like, I don't, my posture isn't, isn't good. Well, when you're sitting, you are going to fade into some flexion, right? Like that is, it's more a matter of endurance as opposed to how good is your, is your posture. So I think that over time, society living a certain way day to day really contributed to back pain. And then when you zoom out and think about, you know, the overall psycho uh, biopsychosocial model, we're just talking about the bio. There are psychosocial factors that really contribute that are well documented in the literature around uh, back pain, whether it be, you know, stressors, uh, work environment, mood, satisfaction, like all of these things contribute to one's back pain, let alone other verticals of health between sleep, food, uh, often these things aren't brought into a, a more holistic picture of somebody's back pain, which makes it challenging. So not only, you know, if I come back to my detox, do so you have these movement health specialists, um, whether it's our chiropractors, physical therapists, massage therapists within our space, but, you know, we need to have allied professionals within our community um, that we can build a more holistic plan. So like we were talking about earlier, if you're the, the pro athlete of the story, like we're managing movement, we might ask some very, you know, superficial, basic questions around what your sleep quality is, but it, there might be things that you share with us where like, I'm not the expert to support you in that way. But I know that if you don't get that support, it's actually going to limit our outcomes and you actually getting over that back pain. So all of these variables and nuances really contribute to, to, um, to back pain. And, you know, to your parent, why is it that so much of our society experiences back pain? It's because we live in a way that is very similar from person to person by virtue of literally sitting and being sedentary and a lot of these positions that we're that we're often in there's a lot of um commonality amongst people uh, when it comes to that so back pain is just, is just so prevalent and like you just often people just don't know where to start right like they don't know where the back pain came from how they're going to manage it and and you need a guide and you know back to the idea of future proof your back pain isn't actually what matters to you. It's what your back pain is limiting you from doing. Is it limiting you from working eight hours a day and not feeling pain? Is it limiting you from playing sports? Because that basketball league you be, used to be a part of, that might have been you know, your social interaction, the, the health that you find in, in community. And if that's taken away from you, yes, it's the back pain, but it's because of what it is um, not enabling you to do, right? It's limiting you from, from, from showing up in that way. Um, so I think that the goal and the intention and the reason why your back pain matters is the most incredible starting point, because if it's just pain, then you're looking to go from you're a seven out of 10 today, you're trying to get to zero. But what if you could play ball at a three out of 10? Would that be okay? Right? So like, if we don't establish the goal, then we don't know what progress and success is along that journey. The success is you playing basketball, not getting to a zero out of 10 pain. That is really interesting. And it just goes to show how important having a why and having an intention is behind everything. And that's not to say that, um, you know, if you don't have a why, it's like, if you don't, if you want to, if you just want to not feel pain in your back anymore, like that's, 
okay, great. Like that, that's a good reason just to not, to not be in discomfort. Um, but what do you think some of the things, any person who might experience like back pain on a day, day, day to day basis, um, maybe it's not something that they need to do right away, but something that they need to do less of. Sometimes, um, you get addition by subtraction. So, you know, maybe what are some of the things that either you recommend people adding into their day to day or, and or some things that they could take out uh, to hopefully feel some relief from this pain. Yeah, I've worked with thousands of people. I mean, I should do the math. Maybe it's tens of thousands of people at this point. And every, I've not worked with anybody who hasn't had, like, it might have taken 10 sessions to talk about it long enough to get to the root purpose here, which, you know, to your point on, on the why, everybody actually has one. Um, they might've been, it's been so chronic of dealing with the pain for so long that now it just became about the pain and not about the thing that it was actually limiting them from doing that they knew about 10 years ago. So sometimes we have to, you know, really unravel that. Um, so being able to, to parse all of, all of that out is just so important because without the direction or the, the purpose, it's kind of hard to like truly get, get buy-in and, and, and compliance on, you know, the long-term program and where somebody is actually, trying to go. So in a lot of folks that I work with, there's always going to be a turn up and a turn down component to um, what they're experiencing, you know, and to your, to your question, some of the turn down things is really coming back to movement health and, you know, what we call micro breaks or exercise snacks or, or, you know, communication is so important, right? Like some of that terminology, like really makes it palatable for people, but people just need to be able to take these, take movement snacks throughout the day so it might be that you're setting an alarm and every hour when it goes off generally folks challenges if it went off and you had five minutes to do something it's like dom what would you do with those five minutes and generally it's like i'm not sure if i'm trying to manage this back pain and i have i something i always say is in eight hours if you're going to take a minute to yourself throughout that eight hour workday, then you have eight minutes to dedicate to your own body what would you do with those eight minutes and it's generally you know hands go up i'm not sure but if i knew what to do i promise you i'd max out on those eight minutes and that becomes an an entry point that doesn't sound like an hour every day it sounds it, i could do eight minutes right like if this is about me and me buying into supporting myself i can do eight minutes so it's about dialing up like little movement sacks and that's why the um, really understanding like your body and your nuance and assessment is so important. Um, it really gets undervalued and really um, trying to pinpoint where somebody's starting point is at because your L4 um, discogenic issue can be very different from somebody else's L4 disc issue because how you got there, you know, we in our world, we like to call it leaks. Assessment allows us to identify what the leaks are right? Your mid-back T-spine mobility might be the reason why you're overloading your lower back. And mine might be the fact that my right hip um, has a bit of an impingement limit, limited in mobility. What we both do to manage the same pain can't look the same because how we got there is completely different. So it's generally not a one-size-fits-all. However, there are a lot of movements that are, you know, very safe um, that the everyday person can do that will get them to a good place, which is why you know, movement, health, and bringing this to the world is so important because not everybody's going to be able to, you know, get to a clinic. There are financial barriers to be able to get one-on-one -on -one care. However, there are incredible platforms. And, you know, at Maya, we talk a lot about getting to a point where we can, you know, support the world in a digital capacity and create content, um, you know, back to this trusted source um, that people can trust, can believe in, and 
uh, really sets them off on the on on the right foot. So there's often little things somebody can be doing, little things that somebody can be taking away, and it's really important to know your body, your pain, where you're trying to go, and bring that into um, the plan as to how we manage that. I love that. I love that, and it's just goes to show again, like every single person is different. You just mentioned it right there. Like the cause of my L4 L5 might not be the same as somebody else's cause of, of an L4 L5, but regardless, like there are people out there, like there are things that you can do to help on a daily basis, but like, sometimes it's just like, there's so much you can do that. You just don't know what to do. Like ambiguity leads to anxiety as a good friend of mine, as a good friend of mine used to say, but one thing that I'm also curious about is I'm going to ask this selfishly. Uh, a lot of my listeners are in the running community, the hybrid athlete community, running, strength training. Um, I was personally a college football player, so I had torn ACL and uh, L4, L5 herniation and just a couple other minor injuries. But um, regardless, like I, I understand like how frustrating it can be um, to have these injuries that set you back. And running is a little bit different where – you know, whereas in football, a lot of those injuries are like season ending, put you out for a couple months. Running is a little bit different. There's a few like common things like runner's knee, shin splints, plantar fasciitis, tendonitis, some of these other things. Why do you think that those become so common um, in the running community? Is it like you mentioned with your knee injuries, was it, is it a lack of diversification of the way that they train or, you know, maybe some of the runners that you've worked with, I'm sure, cause I'm sure you have, or, or that you've come through your clinic. Why do you think that some of these injuries become so common in people? If we pick apart what an injury is to begin with, it's really just, it's overload of load, right? Like the tissue you've passed tissue tolerant and Everybody has varying degrees of what that threshold is. So when running, there's, there's less variability in how you end up running, right? We can talk about foot strike, you know, heel strike, midfoot, forefoot, like there's not a lot of options. So generally we're all loading the tissues in a very similar way versus if we're talking about a lunge, there are a lot of changes that you can make, whether it's stance, distance, how much are you hip hinging? How much are you, you know, going down? Like you can load different areas of your body not necessarily knowing that my lunge is significantly different from yours, which is going to create more variability in injuries. But in running, you're generally challenging the endurance of a couple of tissues in the same way. You already hit, uh, you know, a couple of hot spots and uh, very common areas of injury. What I often see is is too much too soon. It's in, it, it is more related to uh, the training cycle and how much or how fast somebody's dialing up their their mileage. That generally contributes to um, to injuries, the first entry point is in just overall biomechanics and changes, um, not necessarily biomechanics from the standpoint of asking somebody to, to, to change the way that they run, but more um, changes, changing their cycle, right? Changing their training cycle, uh, potentially decreasing things like their stride length, faster turnover. There's, there's some like quick wins. Uh, for a runner to manage and, and and you want to be thinking about this you know way on the front end generally you know people get injured and you want to kind of keep going because often I, I find folks when they're running they're they're they start training for something and there's there's very much a deadline as to when they want to perform um so a lot of a lot of the same tissue being challenged and um overloaded in a very similar way is creating a lot of these you know common injuries that you that you generally mentioned in runners so things like 
you mentioned tissue a couple of times and I know uh, my mom's actually a manual therapist. She had 20 years experience as a physical therapist, um, manual therapist, and now she's gotten into um, craniosacral fascial therapy, which is um, re- kind of new and, and hard for me to explain, but it's, it's, it's pretty interesting stuff. But um, I know I understand the value of just like um, keeping, you know, soft tissue work and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, for the average person, like, should they be on the foam roller? Should they be using a massage gun? Like uh, one, I think, and for myself too, I'm always trying to learn like the best ways to like use those tools because that's what they are. They're tools. So what is maybe like a, a we'll just stay on this topic of, of runners, you know, how can somebody use like the massage gun, the foam roller, um, some other manual therapy, lacrosse ball um, to help prevent injury and amplify enhanced performance. Yes. So to get, you know, pretty scientific for a quick sec, like all of these tools are, you know, in our space, what we call neuromodulators, or you are creating a response uh, in the body, right? So whether you're talking about foam roller, massage gun, you are using um, what we call mechanoreceptors in your body that listen to and can translate pressure um, into a response. And often if there is, you know, quote unquote in our space, we call it directionality. If there's a directionality to that um, pressure, you can you can really kind of teach tissues to do what you're trying to get them to do. But ultimately what you're looking, what you're trying to accomplish is pain modulation, right? So if, if somebody's experiencing, you know, general uh, Achilles tension, uh, calf discomfort, a foam roller or a massage gun could create a, a window or an opportunity to kind of modulate that area enough to potentially get somebody through a run. But, you know, ultimately the outcome of all of these tools are, are short-term, but sometimes that's all that you need uh, to keep you going, right? As long as there's like a more, a larger general plan that you're working through, you know, for example, if it is a Achilles injury, you have a general plan of graded exposure, the days that you run, you're not loading as much the days that you're not, you have a bit of a plan where you're going from, you know, eccentric loading to um, more plyometric loading, like you have a plan to increase the tolerance of your Achilles, you might be dialing up mileage by, you know, two or three miles uh, that week, that might be the week where, you know, I'm going to take this massage gun, I'm going to percuss over my over my calf, because I find that it helps me get through the runs when I'm teetering on generally, I've been getting more than a mile more recently. And at that last mile mark, I, I kind of feel something coming on. And when I go with the massage gun, either just before or after, it modulates the discomfort that I experienced, and I feel like I could recover faster. So there's there's a lot of um, personalization and, and variability to how people experience the support of some of these tools, right? You could kind of, whether it's foam roller, massage gun, why manual therapy is so powerful is there is a intentional, thoughtful um, assessment component that is driving intentional treatment, right? Like leveraging directionality with the tissue and what I found versus just generally working through an area, but generally working through an area can be better than nothing in that moment based on what your goals are, right? So um, long-winded to say you can use these tools in a lot of um, different ways. It has to be very specific for what you are uh, experiencing, um, being very mindful of how fast these tools help you recover, because um, it could be doing the opposite. And you might be just be using this tool that's not setting you up for success, because you should be using that 10 minutes doing something potentially 
uh, uh, different. So um, need to really work with the tool to understand how it's going to set you up for success. A guide is super helpful in you know, helping you navigate. Is this the right use of these five to 10 minutes to set me up for success? Gotcha. So I know you mentioned everything is on an individual basis. There's no one size fits all way. Somebody should be foam rolling. Everybody's, you know, eight to 10 minutes um, that you mentioned, like is going to look a little bit differently, but if there was maybe somebody did have, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes a day, what are some like, you know, maintenance things that would, would benefit like everybody? If you're not working through an injury and, you know, just like zoomed out, just general, I just want to move, uh, you know, back to this concept of movement health. There are some, you know, tried and true bigger macro movements that are just always powerful. Like a squat is, you know, you just can't beat the, what it does for your ankle, your hips, your, you know, your core stability. Um, there's a lot of value in that. Uh, overhead stuff, whether it's a hang or a pull up, that's always great. You know, you really want to think on a joint by joint approach. What are the movements that challenge a lot of joints at the same time? So, you know, compound uh, movements and exercise, compound exercise has become, you know, something significantly more popular. It's, it's risen in trend over, over the last um, decade or two, because in one movement, you are challenging a lot of tissues and a lot of joints uh, all at the same time. And we've gotten you know, a bit further away from isolating areas, again, unless that is your goal or your intention, right? Whether you're, you know, bodybuilding, or there is a very specific task you're trying to accomplish, you might isolate a particular area of your body. But for the everyday person, you want to move a lot of joints, stress a lot of joints uh, in a tolerable, safe manner, uh, all at the same time, right? So you have squats, deadlifts, uh, pull-ups, like those are some big ones. Um, some people love to break it down into push-pull, right? So you're thinking about, incorporating a push component and you have a chest press or you have a sled push right you could you know imagine the difference between there's still a push component but with the sled push there's a lot more going on i'm stressing a lot more you know areas of my body all at the same time so that's that's definitely the goal um and then the last kind of framework would be some people like to break it down into kind of front line back line sideline uh and incorporate movements uh around that so if i said you know, backline, you could be going all the way from foundational, a glute bridge to a hip thrust to a deadlift. And that is like a generalized uh, progression kind of framework to loading the backline. And there is a sideline or lateral line component to it. And then there could be a frontline component um, to it as well. I love that. That's super valuable. And I will say firsthand that when you switch to these multi-joint movements, these compound exercises, you, you actually do less, you spend less time in the gym and, and you get more of a bang for your buck with it. Absolutely. So the last thing that I kind of wanted to touch on was, you know, you mentioned it earlier, how you're on the board of trustees at your alma mater, and you're very passionate about just bringing light to uh, and bringing educate, continuing the education, continuing to provide the next generation with the tools, resources, um, and education to help them thrive and help others thrive as well. And I also know that you're very passionate about um, doing charity work, uh, philanthropy work, um, volunteer work. So talk a bit, a little bit about the, you know, the organizations, organization, organizations that you work with um, and some of the work you're doing there. Yeah. So over the last, I think in 2020, we kicked off our Emerging Leader Scholarship Program um, at Myo Detox. Uh, incredibly proud of all of the folks at Myodetox that made this thing possible. So essentially the way the program uh, shaped up is there is a um, educational programming component to it. So a lot of our leaders in the company are delivering modules to uh, scholars. 
And there is a mentorship component. So we're setting these scholars up in one-on-one -on -one mentorship with uh, clinical leaders in the company as well. And then there's a financial aid component in which we're trying to um, ease the load uh, of tuition and a lot of costs. It's really expensive to be a, a student in, in healthcare. So anything that really um, decreases that load is really what we've been trying to trying to chase. So in the last three years, the first year it was uh, opened up to Black students in the Black community. Um, our last round, we opened it up to Black folks that identify as, as Black or Indigenous. Um, and this last round, we had four scholars. In total, we've had 14 scholars uh, go through the program. And it's been an incredible journey, not only for myself and the scholars, but also our team um, to have the opportunity to support folks on their journeys and, you know, really setting them up for success and expediting their growth and development so they can you know, make huge impact in their communities uh, in, a, in a really thoughtful and intentional manner. I love that. I love that. Well, Dr. Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed this conversation. And, you know, to anyone listening, like, I really hope that you you take this information and go apply it to your life and just continue to um, incorporate more movement health into your day. Like, it's easy to go out and crush yourself at the gym or run as hard as you can for 30 minutes and you feel that sweat and feel that burn. And that's going to feel good in the moment. But long term, incorporating movement health and you know thinking about more about longevity is definitely the way to go. Before we kind of wrap this whole thing up here, I wanted to hop into the quick three with you, Dr. Kevin. So, you know, three fun things, uh, you know, that maybe the audience didn't know about you beforehand. So number one was if it wasn't basketball, what would you have participated in? What would have been your sport or your activity? Um, what would you have dove into? So, I feel like I didn't really get to play football. Like, you know, you mentioned football earlier and you played at a, at a high level. Um, it's gaining more traction and notor notoriety here in uh, in Canada, but I grew up watching football and um, didn't really, there, there wasn't a lot of organizations here um, that had football teams. Like some schools did, some schools not so much. And I really wish that I got to, to play football, organize football at a, at a really high level. I, I truly love the sport. If you could work with one professional athlete right now on like an individual basis, who would that be? One professional athlete. Um, that's a tough one. That is a really tough one. Uh, I'm trying to think about sports I've been watching more recently. Like tennis is a, tennis is a big one for me. Um, Federer is on, you know, the back end of his career. I would love to work with him and see if we could, tack on some more years if you could come back in and win a grand slam that would be that would be incredible love that love that what is one book podcast or you know just person in general that has had a positive impact on you over the past year uh simon sinek start with why has been a really powerful powerful one for me just kind of you know helping me compartmentalize and unpack different parts of my life and and what my why is in each one of those and you know, seeing where the convergence of, of, of all of them could kind of come together and continue to give me a, a guiding North Star. So that, that, that was definitely a powerful read for me. Sitting on my bookshelf. Uh, I still haven't gotten to it, so I'll get to that sooner or later, but that's great. Okay. Bonus question, uh, because I am curious, uh, what is your go-to cheat meal? This is one I've been asking a lot of my clients recently, or not clients, friggin' uh, podcast guests. Go-to cheat meal. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a meal, but my son is four and um, mixed in with good whole food. We got to 
getting some sugary stuff in there it, it gives us a finish line I'll, I'll usually dip my <laughs> dip my hand in there um various forms but I, again i wouldn't call it a cheat meal but whatever he's whatever we need to put in front of him to help him eat his food i will probably help him finish the back half of it got you so my last question is one that i ask all my guests on the podcast and this podcast is called pure ambition and when you hear that word ambition what does that mean to you and how does it apply to your daily life? Yeah, ambition to me is is clarity. Um, it's really truly having clarity in, in in where you're going, where you see yourself. I think it it's very hard to um, deal with setbacks, deal with challenges and obstacles if you don't have a clear vision of where you're trying to go and the change and impact you're trying to make in your in your community and and, and in the world. Um, so when I hear ambition, I hear having clarity really fuels you know, waking up every morning and, and going and chasing that that thing that that gets you going. Um, that's what it means to me. I love that. That's great. Dr. Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. All the insight, the wisdom and the knowledge bombs that you dropped on us. So many gems. If people want to check out more of your stuff, they want to learn more about myo detox and just everything that you're involved in. Where are you hanging out? So Myodetox's main page on Instagram is at Myodetox. Uh, me personally, uh, Dr. Kev Hybrid, D-R-K-E-V underscore H-Y-B-R-I-D. And it's either I'm putting out movement health content or stuff about my kids. It's one or the other, or my wife, family, and um, and movement health are kind of the, the content that I got rolling on there. And then uh, Myodetox's main website is myodetox.com. Find out a lot more about uh, the company, where we're going, where you can find us. As I mentioned earlier, we have clinics in uh, Toronto, LA, and Vancouver. Beautiful. I love it. Dr. Kev, thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I'm excited to see all that you will accomplish and grow my detox into. Thanks for having me, Dom. Really appreciate it, Sam. Thank you guys for tuning into another episode of the Pure Ambition Podcast. Please leave a rating and review on the platform that you are listening as it helps the show grow so that we can reach more people with the intent of empowering others to become the best versions of themselves and live a life worth remembering. If you're ready to take your fitness, mindset, and lifestyle to the next level, head to the link in the show notes and join the Pure Ambition group on Upspace for workouts, recipes, routines, and a community ready to help you thrive. See you in the next one.